are four things you need in business, people, purpose, passion, and products. So the number one is, are you as a leader dedicated to developing your people? The next thing is purpose. Do you have a clearly defined purpose that people will rally behind? Next thing is, do you have a clear set of values in the organization that are hierarchical, easy to understand, and not only do they protect people, but they set themselves free? Do you have a culture of learning, you know, taking away fear? We don't make mistakes at WD-40 company. We have learning moments. And the definition of a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. And then that sits on four pillars of care, candor, accountability, and responsibility. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and to help you have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 93 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm so thankful that you're joining us here today. I know there are many things you could be doing with your time So thank you for giving your time to us. I hope if you're on a run or you're hanging out at your house, doing some chores, uh, thanks for letting us be part of your journey. Today, I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Gary Ridge. He's the chairman and CEO of WD-40. I've been wanting to have Gary on the show for a long time. So this is a treat. Gary has been the CEO and chairman of WD-40 Company for 25 years. And you will see that he is a passionate leader. He's passionate about creating an empowering culture, and he's helped establish a really special culture at WD-40 Company. In 2009, he co-authored a book with the well-known author Ken Blanchard outlining his effective leadership techniques titled Helping People Win at Work, a business philosophy called Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A. He's a native of Australia. You'll hear his really cool accent during the interview. And he holds a certificate in modern retailing and masters of science and executive leadership from the University of San Diego. We dive into a lot of important topics today, including how he's been able to lead at such a high level and sustain himself as the CEO for 25 years, how he's been able to create a culture where employees are engaged and happy to be at work but also still perform at a very high level. He's able to thread that needle, which is so hard to do for leaders. So he shares some secrets and just his mentality on that with us. He was talking about how you can create a clear purpose for your organization, how you can create clear values for your organization and how you can push those values deep into the organization so that everyone buys in or at least almost everyone buys in. So before we jump into this awesome interview, I hope you'll go and download our 12 page PDF that outlines 12 ideas that we think will help you become a better leader right away. These 12 ideas came from 12 of our top interviews over the last two or three years. You can go to intentionalleader.org and download that 12 page PDF. It's free. I just want to give that to you and let you know if you haven't downloaded, it's still there. Go to intentionalleader.org and download that. And we also just want to thank all of you who have partnered with us on Patreon. I see you and I appreciate that. Every little bit helps. If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it's a way for you to partner with Intentional Leader financially with a dollar, two dollars, 50 cents a month, anything. And it allows us to continue to build this platform. We have a lot of exciting things in store over the next year 
to two years. It's going to take a while for us to build up Intentional Leader to the full extent of what we'd like it to be. But our passion and our hope is to continue to help leaders lead themselves, inspire those within their sector of influence, and ultimately make our world a better place. So thank you for being on the journey with us. And also thank you to all of you that continue to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, that really goes a long way. And I read those and it just, it's also just frankly encouraging. So thank you for those that have taken just a few minutes, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. I really appreciate the feedback and knowing that you're still enjoying the podcast, even though I can't see you as we have these conversations. So please enjoy this conversation with Gary Ridge. I was so privileged to have him on the show. Without any further ado, let's jump right in. All right, Gary, welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, g'day, Cal. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. As I was saying before we hit record, I'm a big fan of yours and your leadership and really excited to share your message with this audience. I'm going to start out with kind of a seemingly lazy question, but I, I promise it's intentional. Tell us a little bit about just your journey to becoming the CEO of WD40. Well, thank you. Yeah, let me give you my official introduction, though, if I may first. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. G'day. I'm Gary Ridge. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong, and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD40 company. And that probably is meaningful when we talk about my journey. You know, I was, I joined WD40 company in 1987 on July 4th. They had a holiday here to celebrate that, I believe, uh, <laughs> with a fax machine under my bed in my home in Sydney, Australia. I'd worked for the distributor of WD40 before that. And uh, at that time, the company was looking at expanding its global footprint. The brand was a great brand here in the US. It had sprinkles of business all around the world. So from July 4th through to the beginning of the following year, 1988, we, we were spinning up the business. Fun stuff, finding our offices, setting up our corporation, hiring people. January 1, 1988, we opened WD40 Company Australia. And I spent from 88 to 94 Actually, most of my time, although my home base was Australia, traveling up into Asia uh, as we started to you know, expand our footprint into many of the Asian countries that we're now in. In 1994, I was having a conversation with my then boss, the president of the company, and I said, is there anything else you'd like me to do? He said, funny, you should ask. Do you want to move to the United States? I went, wow, that's different. And I said, to do what? He said, well, you um, you seem to have a passion for uh, expanding our business globally and why don't you come over here and help me do that and I said well that's okay um why don't we do that so you know nothing like disrupting yourself and what a great opportunity it was to do that so in 1994 I uh, moved to San Diego and then in 1997 uh, he retired and uh, for some reason the board of directors of a public company thought that this Aussie guy might be okay to help them take the blue and yellow can with the little red top to the world. And for the last 25 years, I've been uh, doing my apprenticeship in leadership as we've uh, uh, expanded you know, now to 176 countries around the world with a, an amazing tribe. We call our, our, our uh, team members tribe mates because it's kind of like a clan. One of the biggest desires people have in life is to belong. So uh, we want to respect the the behaviors of tribalism right back to even the caveman because they were tribes as well. So um, that's where we are today. And 
Um, it's been just an amazingly uh, worthwhile and uh, learning experience. I want to talk about tribes in a little bit, but before we go to that, I, it's just amazing to me that you've been able to sustain yourself over 25 years as a CEO, global CEO. So what, how do you do that? How do you sustain yourself? How do you stay sharp? Because I, I just the thought, <laughs> Gary, of being a CEO for that long makes me feel tired. And I think there's a lot of leaders that are that are in positions right now that are thinking, man, I've I like doing this for a year or two, but how do I how do I stay sharp for decades in a really high paced leadership role like that? Well, you know what I love about my life. I get to wake up every day to do something that I really love, and it's to inspire people to create positive, lasting memories. It's the most you know fulfilling thing in the world. And the best part of it is to try and figure out all the different ways to do that. So, you know, I think that given the privilege to lead a public company for 25 years, uh, certainly it has a side of it that um, is a little more um, complex and a little less exciting. But really, when you get to work with people and you know, our job as leaders is to create a place where people go to work every day. They make a contribution to something bigger than themselves. They learn something new and are protected by a compelling set of values and they go home happy. Because I believe that happy people create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. Happy communities create a happy world. And by golly, more than ever today, we need a happy world. And business can truly be a, a force for change in that journey. And I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to do that. So really, that's what keeps me going. And I love learning. I'm a curious sort of person. And, um, you know, there's always something you learn. So uh, it's, um, it's, but it's really you know, making a difference, helping make a difference in people's lives that, I, that I've really been privileged to do. If we were to follow you around for a week, are there any habits, routines, even kind of on a micro level? that help you stay sharp or help you keep this large organization organized? Like, What are some things that we would see following Gary around in terms of how you lead yourself and kind of manage the organization? So firstly, it's all about the people. You know, I, I was serious when I said I'm probably wrong and roughly right on most things. Um, so I learned a long time ago, there are three most important words in my life, I don't know, mm. and getting comfortable with that. So what you would see is someone who says, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. Um, you know, and if I, if I, if this was a video, the people listening would see what you see now, which is a big old, uh, huge post-it note thing on behind mm. me with lots of little post-it notes on it. These are all reminders to me of what's important in leadership. In fact, I have one on my computer here um, that says, am I being the person I want to be right now? And mm. then it says, who is that person? Now, why do I have that there, Cal? It's for one reason. We we as leaders are these, you know, basic people bumbling our way down this pathway of life. And in the bushes are thieves, and these thieves will come out and grab us and pull us into the bushes. And they're thieves of things like ego and envy and greed and 
dominance and micromanagement, a lot of what I talk about when I talk about Al, the soul-sucking CEO. So what we have to do is be very aware that that can happen to us and then remind us of who is the person we want to be. So my little list is, who is this person? So I have to remind myself, I want to be these things. I want to be grateful. I want to be caring. I want to be empathetic. I want to be reasonable. I want to be a listener. I want to have fact-based. I want to have a balanced opinion. I want to be curious. I want to be a learner. And I want to throw sunshine, not a shadow. Hmm. So discipline around your thinking is very, very, very important. Connection with people is very, very, very important. You know, as the leaders out there leading organizations, when was the last time they walked up to someone and just basically said, how are you? What's on your mind? Are you okay? And I think that's the important connection, building that empathy and trust. Because at the end of the day, we're all coaches. And great coaches don't run onto the playing field. Great coaches spend their time on the sideline observing the game. They never go in and take the ball. They never try to kick the goal. And they should never, ever, ever, ever go to the podium to pick up the prize. And the other place where they spend a lot of time is in the locker room. And what are they doing in the locker room? They're building trust and establishing psychological safety and showing their own vulnerability so people feel safe. Tell us about Al the soul-sucking CEO that you referenced just a minute ago. Oh, yeah, very uh, – Al's a very undesirable person. I made Al up because, you know, I, I – I, many years ago, I read some work of the Dalai Lama, and he said our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we don't – we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And what I saw around me was leaders hurting people. So I made Al up. And, and Al is a leader who has the habits that um, – that are not creating great cultures. You know, he's a master of control. He's a know-it-all. He thinks he's corporate royalty. Alice spent many years climbing up this ladder of corporate success. Thou shall bow down to Al. He thinks learning is for losers because he has to always have all the answers. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. He must always be right even when he's wrong. He must always be right. He loves a fear-based culture. He thinks micromanagement is absolutely essential. He doesn't follow through on his commitments. He's unreliable in most circumstances because it's all about me, 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 and he hates feedback. So that's the sort of habits that, you know, Al, the soul-sucking leader has that create toxic cultures. On the other side, the servant leader leader really involves and loves their people. They're always in servant leadership mode. They're expected to be competent. They are connected with emotional intelligence. They love learning moments. They have a heart of gold, but a backbone of steel. They're, they're champions of hope. They know my Micromanagement is not scalable. They do what they say they're going to do, and they treasure the gift of feedback. Tell me about, you mentioned a heart of gold and a backbone of steel. How does, how does that look? Because do, I think a lot of leaders, when they start hearing words like empathy, being a good listener, they start to worry that by doing things that you could say are soft, or um, I don't think I think those are incredibly valuable traits of a leader. But I think a lot of leaders start to get worried about, oh my goodness, does that mean my performance is going to drop? Does that mean 
the people on my team are going to start taking advantage of me? Does that mean I'm just a nice guy that everybody walks all over? So I like the way you phrase that. And it seems like you've really figured that out. What does that look like for a leader to have that heart of gold, but backbone of steel? You know, leadership is a balance between another way of saying it being tough-minded and tender-hearted. And the genius is in the middle in the end. So as leaders, we have to look at, you know, I can go to either end of that scale real easily. So if I go to the tough-minded side and I'm very dominant on tough-minded, that's not going to that's that's not going to build trust. And if I'm too tender-hearted, does that mean that people don't think I'm going to make great decisions because I'm just, you know, sucking up to people, if you will. But, you know, as a leader, I think you, you've got to ask yourself two questions because you're going to get in these tough conditions. The first question you ask yourself is, did I do what I thought was right? And if and the answer, if it's yes, the second question is, did I do my best? And if the answer is yes, you take a deep breath, you make peace with it, and you move on. Because you cannot please all the people all the time. No good deed will ever go unpunished. So that's why that backbone of steel is you, you're going to have to take the knocks because not everybody's going to agree with you. The important thing is if they don't agree with you, do they really understand why you're making the decisions that you're making? So don't just tell them what you're going to do or what we're going to do. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's the reasoning and the and the purpose behind it? Are there any examples that come to your mind in your own leadership of having to find that genius between those two extremes? Well, I think one of them too is, you know, in coaching, if you've got a clear set of values in your organization, and, and our second value is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. Now, hearing that, you would think that that means that we're always going to be nice to each other, right? Yeah. So let me give let me give you a coaching a coaching example of how you use a value to be tough minded and tender hearted, or had to have a heart of gold and black bone of steel. And this is a true example. So in a meeting one day, one morning, um, someone in that room is not creating positive, lasting memories. They know our values, but they're having a bad morning. You can feel the toxin kind of swelling out from them. So what do you do as a leader? Well, option A is you kind of halt the meeting and you, you remind that person in that presence, hey, Cal, you know, that's not the way we operate here. You're being a, you know, SOB. Don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Eh, don't do that. Why? <laughs> because number one, you're going to embarrass the person. But number two, everyone else in the room is now going to be saying, when's Cal going to come after me and embarrass me in front of everyone else? Mm. Number two is you do nothing. No, you cannot do nothing. So number three, what is the balance between tough-minded and tender-hearted or Heart of gold and backbone of steel. So the meeting's over, and I say, Hey, Cal, come for a walk with me, would you? So we walk outside the building and I start looking under a tree and in a in a trash can and behind a car. And you say, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> and here's the heart of gold and the, the backbone of steel. You say, Cal, the you I know and love was not in that room today. Mm. What's on your mind? What's getting in your way? How can I help you? Wow. So now you have that opportunity to invite that coaching conversation. I didn't run on the field. 
I'm now having that coaching. And, you know, I had that conversation and the person that had a bad day and things weren't that good. And, you know, so we, we were able to not in that situation. I had the heart of gold. I was reaching out with love, but I had the backbone of steel because I was saying, this is not aligned with our values. This behavior is not acceptable. This is a toxic behavior of Al. So you have to do something about it. That's so good. I mean, I could just feel, I could kind of put myself in that scenario and just feel the the love from that comet. Um, and it immediately made me want to perform at a higher level. It made me feel like you cared, but you were also being honest with me. Um, I, I, so that you brought up psychological safety. The first option that you gave there in that scenario, I see a lot in the military where people, I see leaders make examples of other people to kind of, in, it seems like inflict this fear-based leadership of like, oh my goodness, don't mess with the boss. Like, don't upset the boss. Don't be that guy. You're going to be the one that's that's next to be embarrassed. Um, psychological safety seems like a lot better place to live and work than that kind of fear-based culture. How do you think about culture? How do you, and this, I think this might be related to your tribe. So feel free to take this in yeah any direction, but tell us how you think about creating a culture of safety while also mm-hmm. keeping performance high. So uh, as you know, I, I was born in Australia. So let me take you back many, many years to my science class at, in high school. My science teacher gave me a Petri dish and my science teacher said, we are going to grow culture in this Petri dish. And we're going to grow culture that is healthy culture. So what did we put in the Petri dish? So the teacher said, this is what we're going to put in the Petri dish. And then what are we going to do? We're going to watch that Petri dish all the time and ensure that if any toxins get in there, we treat the toxins or we remove the toxins. So when we're talking about culture in an organization, what has to go in that 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 petri dish well you have to have a clearly defined purpose a clear set of values you have to have a leadership style that is not owl but of the servant leader put all that in there and watch it carefully and be brave enough and love your people enough not only to reward them and applaud them when they do great work but to redirect them when their behavior is adding toxins to the petri dish so this is simple it's a it's an algorithm culture equals Values plus behavior times consistency. Mm. That's it. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's hard to do. It's simple, not easy. And time is not your friend because you have to be continually working on it on an ongoing basis. Now, when you talk about tribes, why we call tribe, we'll talk about tribe is that if you think about, you know, tribes and tribal leaders, what's the number one responsibility of a tribal leader? Well, the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher because they have to teach the tribe members the tools and uh, of survival. You know, if, you, if you're in the military, what are you teaching the people you're leading? You're teaching them survival skills, military skills. If you weren't a great teacher, would they be a great soldier? No, they'd be a soldier at risk if they didn't know how to, you know, survive in harsh conditions. So your, your job is to be a great teacher. You've said before that culture is a competitive advantage. Tell us about that because I think some people think of culture as uh, it's almost become trendy, like, oh, create a good culture. But you talk about it in a more specific way that it's 
it's not just good for engagement. And of course, that's important, but it actually can help your organization thrive in very measurable ways. Oh, it's an amplifier. And let me give you the simplicity of this. You know, we can write a great strategy and we, you know, all of the things that have to go into the strategy, you know, the, do we have a great market? What resources do we need? Blah, blah, blah. So we've got a really good strategy. Let's take that strategy along to some smart professor somewhere and say, hey, mark this out of 100. And he says, well, okay, I'll give you 60 out of 100. Most strategies are 50% right, 50% wrong. Okay, great. So what are you going to do with that strategy now? You've got to implement it, right? So let's say that the culture that you have, the people that go to work every day in that culture are 20% engaged, which means they go to work every day, they want to work towards the passion, they think they're making meaningful work. 20 times 60 is 1,200. So your outcome is 1,200. But if you've got 80% of your people in a culture who go to work every day, who are passionate about the work that they do, 80 times 60, six eights of 4,800. So it's a simple mathematic conclusion. And it's not, we didn't just learn this. If you go back to Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, he said, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Don't anyone try and tell me that they do great work when they hate what they're doing. They just don't. So it's an amplifier of and a multiplier within the organization. It, and it, it absolutely is. How have you been able to do that at WD40? Uh, I've heard you say before, describe some of the feedback that you get. It's really at the top of the charts in terms of positive feedback. How do you do that? How do you create this culture where people are engaged even through a pandemic? Well, you know, if, if you didn't have a reasonably good culture going into the pandemic, you suffered greatly because you couldn't build a great culture necessarily through the pandemic. But the first thing that you have to have is there are four things you need in business, people, purpose, passion, and products. So the number one is, are you as a leader dedicated to developing your people? The next thing is purpose. Do you have a clearly defined purpose that people will rally behind? Next thing is, do you have a clear set of values in the organization that are hierarchical, easy to understand, and not only do they protect people, but they set themselves free? Do you have a culture of learning, you know, taking away fear? We don't make mistakes at WD-40 Company. We have learning moments. And the definition of a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. And then that sits on four pillars of care, candor, accountability, and responsibility. Do you care about your people? Are you, are you loving them enough? to be able to reward them for doing great work and redirect them when they need to be directed. Candor is no lying, no faking, no hiding. I believe most people don't lie. I believe they fake and hide because of fear. So if you remove the fear, accountability, do you know what you expect from them and do they know what to expect from you? And Are you living up to it? And responsibility, is there a clear definition of what responsibility is? And we have a, a definition of responsibility in our company. We call it the maniac pledge. I'll, I'll share it with you. It says, I am responsible for taking action, asking questions, 
getting answers and making decisions. I won't wait for someone to tell me. If I need to know, I am responsible for asking. I have no right to be offended. I didn't get this sooner. And if I'm doing something others should know about, I'm responsible for telling them. That's our definition of personal responsibility to each other. How do you go about creating your purpose? Well, a purpose is making a contribution to something bigger than yourself. So if you think about, you know, WB40 company, what would you what do you think our purpose might be? Uh maybe taking the squeaks out of doors, uh making <laughs> making making life better for families and organizations. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. So the the first thing you said is what we do. Mm-hmm. That's the function. Our purpose is we exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops around the world. We Hmm. are in the memories business. Hmm. So that's what we do. Our purpose is to create positive, lasting memories. So we go to work every day and our products and the way we treat our people and the way we treat our community and our stakeholders are about creating these great memories that people talk about. Any oil can stop a squeak. If I was just in the squeak stopping business, I'd have thousands of millions of competitors, but I'm not. I'm in the memories business. That is genius. Gary, that's so smart. How did you all come up with that? Um, Through a lot of thought and uh, a lot of learning over time, you know, it was... It was really about what is it we want to do? What is a what is our just you know our just cause? Here's our, here's the other thing: we have a just cause in it that that really keeps our tribe together. Our just cause is to make life better at home and at work. A group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. So that's that's what keeps us together as a tribe: to make life better at home and work, and be a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. So I'll give you an example of how that worked during COVID. You know, we have a 93% employee engagement. 98% of our people globally say they love to tell people they work at the company. 97% say they respect their coach, who is their boss. During COVID, um, we just done our last employee opinion survey just before COVID started. And those numbers were up high. You know, off we went in the in the COVID roller coaster, up and down, up and down. January 2021, we felt that we weren't draining cultural equity. We felt that, that that it was still there. We were very connected in new and different ways. But we said, let's just go out and do a test and see if if anything's changed, if there's any areas we're missing. So we went out and we resurveyed. The survey came back, and the scores were just as high. But there was one that actually went up. And the one that went up was a question that basically is, I am excited about my place in the company's future. And 98% of our people around the world said they were excited about their place and the company's future. Now, here we are in January 2021. There's no vaccine. We don't know what the world's going to look like. So why are people that confident? And we went back and asked them, and here's basically the answer they gave us. If we can get through this together, we can get through anything together. There's no place I would prefer to be right now. Wow. So that was playing out as our strength. How do you get this down to more junior leaders in your organization? Because it's you are very inspiring. 
It's, it's really easy to listen to you, to be inspired by you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it gets down to the leaders lower in the organization. How do you do that? Oh, yes, it does, because we live this right through the organization. You know, our talent development program, the way we talk to our people, the way we treat each other, the way we hold each other accountable. This is the way, you know, values are the way you do things around here. So if you were to go onto our um, careers website, for example, the first thing that pops up and hits you is, this company is all about values and culture. Here's what we are. Here's what we look like. Here's what we behave like. If you want to be part of this and you like this, come here. If you don't, don't come here. Hmm. So we we you know we live this through the organisation uh, from top to bottom. And I'm not sure that there is a top or a bottom. I think there's a tribe, and that's how we live it together. What are your values at WD40 Company? Yeah. Uh, our values are, number one, we value doing the right thing. Number two is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. Number three is we value making it better than it is today. Number four is we value succeeding as a tribe while excelling as individuals. Number four is we value owning it and passionately acting on it. And number five is, uh, number six is we value sustaining the WD-40 economy. What would you say to the leader who's listening to this and is inspired by you and they really like what they're hearing about WD-40, but they're thinking about their organization and thinking, this is not where we are. We do not have a clear purpose. We do not have clear values and just almost feels overwhelmed by trying to get an organization headed in that different direction. What advice would you give to them just to kind of get started on developing a purpose, developing values, improving their culture? Start in, in the organizational circle closest to you. If you have a department and the organization that you work for doesn't have this, create it in your own department. Sit down with your people and talk about why do we really come to work here in this department every day? What do you think our true purpose is? Put together your set of values and watch how people start to see your department or the operation that you're running start to change and watch how people want to come and work for you and watch how your performance goes up because now 80% of your people are going to be engaged instead of the 20% that are. Have conversations with your people. Ask them what they like. Tell them what, ask them what would you need to do to have them stay instead of escaping their toxic culture. Be open, be honest, be authentic and start doing it. How do you, and you you mentioned that on your website, it's very clear, we're a values-based organization, we're all about culture, but how do you make sure that you that you don't let people in that are the wrong fit? What is your, what is your interviewing oh, process well, look like? You know, reality, someone is going to get in under the net sometime. Okay. That's good. But it's very, we hire for values first, competency second. I can teach anybody to do a better Excel spreadsheet, but I, I can't really change their values. So, you know, there's a very, very rigorous um, understanding period as we start to interview people to come into the company. And honestly, now, if someone happens to get under the net, they'll get voted off the island by the tribe because pretty soon, you know, it, it shows that they're not, they're not welcome here. But however... They feel very uncomfortable. 
You know, I can think of a couple of circumstances where some, and suddenly being put in a situation where they're expected to be making decisions, they're going to be trusted, they're going to be held accountable, someone's going to care, they get very uncomfortable. It's not, It's this is not the norm. How do you best judge people's values in like an interview process? You watch their behavior. Okay. Do you, you, know, you observe their behavior right during, from the time they come into the okay yeah. and, and and you know we we have other ways of doing it but mm-hmm. simply you know from the minute they walk into the building how are they treating people mm. are they treating people with respect and dignity you know how do they treat the person who's the on the reception desk or in a meeting or even virtually now as we interview and we talk and we ask them you know certain questions about certain things and um so yeah, it's it's very much, you know, understanding who that who's at heart. Gary, I've got two last questions for you and I really appreciate your time. This is so good. Um you you know, it's really cool to see someone operating right in their sweet spot. This is clearly something you're passionate about, you live it out, you're making change, you're helping leaders. What are you most excited about right now? Oh, the future. You know, life is a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. And after doing my 25-year apprenticeship at WD-40 in leadership, uh, when I step down from that role in August, then I turn up the volume on my coaching uh, and uh, business and and consultancy work as as the culture coach. I I hope I can touch many leaders in many different ways and, and really show them that we can make the world a better place because the world has to be a better place. We can't be like this anymore. It's, you know, I have grandkids and I don't want it to be like this. The business must be a force for good in the world. And we can do, we touch more people than anyone else. So let's get on with it. Um, And I love Nelson Mandela's quote, it's always impossible till it's done. And I can prove that you can do it. You know, I can say, here's the results for 20, we practiced for 25 years. Here's the results. 98% employee engagement, we increased our revenue by nearly sixfold. We expanded into 176 countries around the world. We had a compounded annual growth rate, a total shareholder return of 15% a year, took our market cap from $300 million to nearly $3 billion. And all we do is sell oil in a can. <laughs> well done. Well done, my friend. Um, Gary, last question in terms of resources, books, uh, articles, uh, just, are there any, you know, if you had to share one or two books or resources that have really helped you in your leadership journey, what would those be? Well, firstly, if you go to my webpage, which is www.thelearningmoment.net, there is a book recommendation page there that shows you all of the books, um, that I've really enjoyed over time. You know, in, there's a couple. Um, one I really love is Everything You Need to Know You Learn in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgram. Um, you know, it, and it's pretty simple. Say please and thank you. Pick up after yourself. You know, don't go out late at night and on your own. And if you take, you know, don't steal, you know, clean up your bedroom. But if you take all of those principles and kind of think about them in a business sense, they're great. Um, you know, I love Simon Sinek's work, his latest book, you know, The Infinite Game. I've just finished reading a fantastic book by, by my friend Ron Carosi called To Be Honest, hmm. um, which is a very it, – it's one of – it's a book 
of great thinking. It's called To Be Honest. Um, that's not up on my site yet. And then I wrote a book called Helping People Win at Work. I co-authored that with Ken Blanchard, the One Minute Manager. And I also have another book called The Unexpected Learning Moment. And it's leading a, a thriving company through COVID, all the learning moments we had of that. But all that's up on my webpage. And I publish articles on LinkedIn. So I'd love people to follow me on LinkedIn and share their learning moments with me. And I learn from people every day. And I'll put links to all of those that you mentioned, Gary, in the show notes of this episode. Gary, anything else you'd like people to know about you and your journey, where they can find you? Yeah, I think that's it. You know, as I said, life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. We got a lot of unwrapping yet to do. <laughs> Gary, well done. And uh, just thank you for your leadership and thank you for continuing to serve all of us with your wisdom. It was great getting to connect with you today. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, hey, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing a true lifetime of wisdom with us. I learned so much and I love the way you speak about leadership. And uh, I hope that all of the listeners out there got something out of this. I loved his description of the soul-sucking CEO, Al. I think many of us can see maybe parts of ourselves in Al at times, and certainly people that we've worked for, or maybe even someone that you're currently working for. And I love that idea that he shared about the sticky notes that he puts on his computer screen. It was cool to see those up on his wall. He had these pink and yellow sticky notes of all of these things that he wants to be. And he reminds himself of those in order to keep it fresh and keep it top of mind. And I think that's what we have to do if we're trying to be intentional as a leader, because we know how it can be. You, you believe something deeply, but emotions can take over, the, the expedient can take over, the busyness can take over, and we forget the principles that we want to live by. So that was such a practical way that he's been able to sustain himself and remind himself of the type of leader that he wants to be. I love the concept of creating a tribe. I thought he explained that very well. And I love the way he described trying to find that, that happy medium between pushing people and helping them perform at a high level and having high expectations and doing so in love, but also creating a culture of engagement. I don't think there's a even should even be a but there. I think it's it's a both and. We can create engagement and have high performance. And I love the way he he explained that. I love the way he's able to push the culture of the organization and those values down to the lowest level. And how cool was his purpose for his company that they are in the memory business. That's so much better than what I came up with of getting rid of squeaky sounds on doors and other uh, items and that just shows you the power of thoughtful leadership to be able to create a purpose that's so compelling that people want to get up in the morning and go do that job because they know they're making a difference and that's our job as a leader to create a vision and to help people see that vision and to continue to communicate that vision over and over again so let me know what stood out to you you can shoot me a note at cal at calwalters.me if you enjoyed this episode please take just one or two minutes go to apple podcast go to spotify wherever you listen to this and try to leave a rating, a review. That would mean so much to me. Thank you so much for listening once again. I hope you go and have a wonderful week. Remember to make a difference in the people around you. That has a ripple effect. Remember that life is short. Let's go make it count.